I'm going to argue with Jason that there's no such thing as a double switcheroo. Eh, Frank's a loser. Lodero. So I officially hate like 94% of Atlanta fans. Guys, I'm going to make you set down your teacups and take your pinky fingers and put them back into the fist that they need to be in because this has gotten far too cordial. I lost to the freaking cat team. Just a whisker. A whisker of a loss. Was that a rational RSL take from Jason? <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm probably the most rational RSL fan. You just got lawyered by a non-lawyer, bro. Hello and welcome to the MLS Fantasy Insider. Tonight, we're talking about our fantasy takeaways from week one of the MLS is Back tournament. This episode is brought to you by Crowd Noise, because even when it's canned, a game is better when it's there. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, actually, uh, brought to you by MLSFantasyBoss.com and the amazing Patreon supporters of the MLS Fantasy Insider. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Thank you for, uh, for uh, being with us last week when we were off one week and uh, responding to to the call to update your information and to join our MLS is back and predict six leagues so uh, thank you so much you guys are amazing uh, I'm your host Reed Connolly from MLSFantasyBoss.com and tonight I'm joined by my partners in fantasy Michael Denton and Blaine Riffle how are you guys doing tonight doing well Glad to have you guys here. So this is episode 22, and we're finally back to talking about soccer. Holy cow. <laughs> Holy cow. We've had little bits and pieces, but uh, the whole reason, as I just mentioned, of why we took last week off is because we had covered a lot of, of fantasy and soccer-ish related topics, and uh, we know that we're fantasy-focused. And so the, the histories and the best 11s and the Mount Rushmores and all that stuff just fun but ultimately filler however now we have games being played again and so we took last week off so that we could talk about games that we actually had stats for or we have seen or just not something in the past or or what we're hoping for and and that's what's going on right now tonight we're going to be breaking down some of our fantasy takeaways from week one of the mls's back tournament now that's it's kind of a gray area because right now we have lafc versus houston on as we're recording and there'll be a game on after la galaxy and portland uh and so we're not finished with the whole technically first week of group games but we're approaching this from a monday through sunday week so each each monday when we come back here to talk we're likely going to have some overlap, especially during this group phase. Uh, but we'll talk about the games we don't talk about tonight next week. So you'll you'll get some of that information. But I've been looking at this as a basically a second preseason, guys. What about you? Yeah, that's what it feels like. And and for me, preseason can give you a lot of information about how the team is going to play. It may not necessarily be the greatest predictor of who's going to score or who's going to assist, but you can sort of see which players are getting positions, who's sort of becoming a go-to player, who's going to have some sort of form or maybe be substituted in and out at times. And I think that's what we're getting an even better look at from the MLS's back tournament because it, these are more serious. These count. So it's it's uh, essentially preseason information for us, and that's why we want to talk about it. So we can find fantasy gems fantasy tidbits within these games that are worth knowing before we get back to actually selecting 
our first player. So that's the goal of this. But before we get started, I will start with you, Mike, and just say, how have you been enjoying the tournament so far? Honestly, I haven't really been enjoying it at all. <laughs> um, Biased. Part of that is because, like, I don't have ESPN anymore, which I realized, like, oh, wait, whenever this tournament started, like, I have no way to watch any of these games except for the ones on Twitter. And I don't know when half these games are. Like, sometimes, like, oh, there might be a game on, and that's one of the games that have been postponed. Um, to be honest, I haven't been really all that motivated to find out anyway because it's been made abundantly clear by the players that they don't want to be there and they kind of only half care which i think is going to make it much more difficult for us to find fantasy knowledge going into this i was like this is going to be great tournament everyone's going to be excited to get back um and i think mls made a number of very serious missteps in, in trying to get this tournament back uh number one is starting a labor labor fight with the players on the way and we talked about that on our in the podcast a, a few weeks ago mm-hmm. Um, I think that put the players in a very bad situation or a very bad mindset, excuse me. They don't want to be there. Then the run-up and the way they got teams to Orlando was just too short. Um, It seems pretty clear MLS was trying to cram this in before the NBA really takes over, and it just isn't working. It just wasn't enough time to get the proper testing. The, The fact that we've had to cut two games or two teams out of the tournament entirely is weird. The fact that all of our brackets are pretty much were null and void by the end of game two simply because they changed the groups because of FC Dallas uh, and Nashville having resigned and then group A and B essentially being merged. Um, you know, and so, some of the games, it's like, are, do they care? I mean, Maxi Morales made it clear beforehand he didn't want to show up and now he's got a quote quad injury unquote and, and he's left Orlando. I, I, I don't know how much there were this this with this tournament wasn't what i was hoping it was going to be um i know there's been some fun goals it's at least fun to get some sort of soccer uh it's been fun to rib blaine off sporting kansas city's uh losing um although all of us got to share misery in week one of the tournament in some way or another but i'm just really disappointed that this wasn't what we were all hoping it was I mean, I don't know how miserable I can be it was as I expected, but we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, Blaine, how have you been enjoying, or if you're like Mike, not enjoying the tournament? I like it. Um, I think it's been a lot of fun just to have games every day, and I know we had some rough starts with a few postponements and all that, but, I mean, it's soccer back on TV. You get a morning game, which can be thrown on in the background or as noise or whatever. Um, if you're on the West Coast, it's probably before you go to work, so that that could be nice too. It's just I, I'm enjoying it. It's been fun. It's rusty, but I'm kind of disappointed we don't get to see more MLS preseason anyway. It's fun to see these other names. I'm loving the five subs thing because we're seeing players we don't normally see take the field. Um, as a fantasy manager, that's wonderful for me. Mm-hmm. I like seeing all these up-and-coming guys that maybe in three, four years are going to be some of your roster filler or may step up and get to play a lot more. And it's just nice to kind of get a familiarity with those. And I'm getting to watch more teams play than I normally do on a weekend. Uh, with there being no two games at the same time, that's been really handy. And so I'm enjoying it. It's The level is about where I expected it to be. Some teams look a little better than others. Um the 90 minutes in this heat 
in humidity it has been really taking its toll on the game so that's led for some frantic finishes and just some interesting changes and sub patterns i i'm enjoying it but i can see where mike's coming from too it's it is a little bit of a letdown especially knowing that these games do count for regular season standings i always hate when you have to just jam those in there like that this really should be a preseason style with no no table standings riding on it playoff position shouldn't be riding on this because we're seeing a few more injuries than normal guys are coming back not being fully match fit and then they're trying to go 60 to 90 minutes and just picking up little knocks here and there and that's never good to see and yeah it's just a little bit of good little bit of bad i love that it's back on but i just don't like all the ways it's been implemented I get it. No, I totally get what you guys are saying, um, and you you make some good points. I've I've been enjoying it. I am in a similar situation as Mike, though. Is literally eight nine days before the season started, I dropped my subscription to YouTube TV due to the price hike that they had, and uh, YouTube TV was a fantastic source is a fantastic source for sports we get an espn and fox at a very reasonable price but i dropped that mostly because of uh of how my family consumes the media and i've switched over to sling tv because of the price point which uh gets me access to fox sports one still but not espn and that's the biggest carrier for this game and the, the sucky part for the whole tournament is i have espn plus and it's absolutely useless for me yeah. during this time because everything's espn or espn2 and the thing that gets me the most is i got espn plus because when fc cincinnati joined the league they were originally on espn and espn plus and then they went over to to flow garbage i even i don't like them they went over to the different provider and and I lost them completely, but I had already paid for a year of ESPN Plus, so I really wasn't using ESPN Plus for anything. And now they're back, but they're just not putting anything on ESPN Plus. So it's a very frustrating platform for me. However, that being said, I still got to watch the Hell is Real Derby, FC Cincinnati versus Columbus, because it was on Fox Sports 1. And I think this may have to do mostly with how you're watching and where the stream's going, but I loved that Fox Sports 1 had crowd noise as part of their game. I thought it was great. The clips I've seen from the ESPN games haven't had crowd noise. I don't know if that's just because of where the clip came from or if they had that in the actual broadcast or not. But I've loved hearing fan noise. I thought that made it uh, much more interactive and made it feel real, even though I know there isn't any fans there. The other part that I like about the Fox broadcast, which I don't know if it's in the ESPN broadcast, is the virtual jumbotron where they have the fan watch parties and i joined that with the fc cincinnati game and saw myself sometimes on the jumbotrons which is really cool because you can clearly see when they go to different camera angles that there is no jumbotron but it's also kind of frustrating because you rarely get to see the giant jumbotrons you might catch a bottom corner of it or sometimes like i wish i wish they actually made that if, if they're going to have it there to try to get the fan interaction and see yourselves, like I wish you could see it more often to get that uh, gratification. But there was only 30-some people in the FC Cincinnati chat. That game got pushed back anyway, so that's definitely a contributing reason. But So it was pretty easy to see yourself cycle through and be like, yeah. Um, but the funny thing was, it was late, and my wife was sleeping, 
And so I had to just like mime all of my actions uh, and I wasn't really yelling or really chanting. I was just sort of miming all the words so that I didn't wake her up in the house. <laughs> so uh, that was, I had, it was muted anyway, so he wouldn't be able to hear me, but it was, it was a courtesy right there. So, um, but I get what you guys are saying and uh, we'll see what, what happens with, with games after this, if we have games. I hope we do because that means fantasy comes back. And that's how we're going to transition into the main part of our discussion, which is our fantasy takeaways from week one of the MLS is back tournament. So we're just going to start breaking down uh, the groups in, in each week. So we're going to start with group A. We had Orlando versus Miami and New York City FC versus Philadelphia. So we'll start with Orlando, Miami. What you guys like about that game? Nani. You know, it's not Nani getting the late the late winner continues mm-hmm. to be the crux for Orlando. Um, I, I think that's probably I, I kind of came out of that game with the same opinions of the teams that I had um, before we broke for COVID, which is I think Miami's good, but you know they're just kind of kind of hanging. But maybe they're not quite at that Atlanta level. You know, kind of like maybe we might fight for a playoff spot, but we'll probably not get it because. They just don't have quite have it. They don't have the organization and, and talent yet. Um, and Orlando, like, they're a decent team. Maybe they can get together with Oscar Pereja. Um, and I mean, the, I think the, the I think the positive for both these teams is that these two teams are motivated because it's not like they can complain. Oh, we don't want to be in Florida because if the tournament ends, they're going to be in Florida still. Right. So um, I, I think th- they both of them have a decent shot at. at making it uh, out um i haven't really thought about how the new group a really affects that but um at least both of them have i mean atlanta has a really good chance if they beat new york city um they'll be in so yeah what's interesting for me with with group a is i know going into it we thought new york city fc and philadelphia were locks and that it was really going to come down to orlando miami for who was going to get that third spot and uh it, it may end up being is it Miami, New York City playing for for a third spot right there because I feel like we could probably see three teams out of this this group is it, it, it could it could work, uh, but yeah a little bit a little bit different there. Uh, Blaine, did you have anything from that game to add? I've got some numbers yeah. after this. Yeah, I didn't think we saw a first string lineup come out for Miami to start that game. Um, Cesaro and Lee Wynn were on the bench um, just little interesting but they kind of dominated that first 45 60 minutes um i know a big turning point was andreas reyes getting hit in the face or hit in the neck and having to be taken to the hospital uh and that really seemed to change their momentum in the game from that point on uh and but up until that point i thought miami looked pretty solid and even took the lead in that point who would have guessed juan agadella would score the first goal of the tournament for sure I, and, and, I mean, that's a fantasy point we've got to go. We don't know what Miami's going to look like, but Juan Agadella scored a goal for him. Um, right now, that's a decent option as we start looking back at fantasy. If he's going to start and he's going to get good service from his guys around him, he's not a bad option to have, and his price point in fantasy is usually pretty okay. Yeah, he always had a lot of promise when he was with New England, but just didn't have the quality around him to really, to really come out. Yeah, and... And, I mean, I'll say Orlando really did capitalize on the late game. Um, Maybe that's fitness and being down there, playing at home, 
coming out and getting to train in the heat and humidity all summer long where the other guys just came down there to it. Um, some of it could be better rotation. They put in a, some of the guys I would consider maybe a little bit stronger players later in the game. I know Dwyer has not been a consistent starter with them over the last couple of seasons, and Tesho has. Um, it's kind of been flip-flop between those guys. So when you take Dwyer off after 60 minutes to throw Tesho in, are you really throwing in your first string striker at the end to go run at people again? It's just a lot of things like that that the rotation's going to make it hard to judge. But we saw, I, I was really impressed with what I saw from Miami to start the game. And I mean, one injury changed uh, the face of that game quite a bit. Sure. But that gives me hope for Miami going forward. So looking at some of the numbers, of course, we had a 2-1 final in Orlando's favor. Juan Agudelo got the first score goal assisted by Uola and Pellegrini. So those are some of the early names to be keeping track of if you want to see who's going to be getting the goals and assists to help you expect any sort of continued production in a fantasy season. Over on Orlando's side, uh, Chris Mueller got the first goal for Orlando, assisted by Nani, and then Nani unassisted scored the game winner right there. Both teams sort of average in their shot production, uh, 10 to 8 for Orlando-Miami, respectively. And then crosses, pretty pretty good, uh, 18 and 17 crosses per each team. So definitely a lot of work happening on both of the wings right here, trying to get those balls sent in. So that's something uh, you have some good options if those are types of players that you like. Key players, uh, clearly for Orlando, we have Nani. Uh, we have Mueller, who had more opportunities than Dwyer did as far as shots go. Dwyer is not someone that, for me, fantasy-wise, even showed up for this game. Take that as you will, if this is just not really wanting to be here or whatever. But Dwyer was not really a huge factor for me for this. Uh, and then we also had uh, Pereira. Had just some great passing numbers right there, if you're looking for some early people to watch in this tournament. Miami side, Juan Agudelo, uh, he got that first goal. Really interested to see how he starts to play the rest of this tournament to see what that might look like carrying over, especially since he's got a shot to keep going into the knockout phase after this. Um, Pellegrini, again right here, since he helped with the assist. Uh, and then also, Lee Wynn subbed on and uh, had, had some good numbers for where it was when he subbed on so we know there's clear quality in lee win he's got great history as we know if you tuned in for our top fantasy 11 of all time uh lee wins had consistent high numbers his for the last what third of the fantasy games existence in this in this 3.0 fantasy season uh so he he put up i think some respectable numbers as a sub which a couple other players did as well Moving on to New York City FC versus Philadelphia. Mike, I'll let you do the bulk of the discussions here, but the, the final score was 0-1 Philly. Yeah, so uh, looking at expected goals um, off the top of my head, I believe it was 1.73 to New York City to 0.37 for Philly. And, of course, Philly got the goal and New York City couldn't finish, um, which has been kind of the story for New York City in the three games that they've had. Um, generated more chances, haven't finished. They're still without a goal in 2020. Um, it's, I mean, it's been kind of a frustrating year for the Pigeons. Uh, and then obviously to lose Maxi Morales uh, really hurts. Um, I, I think the kind of one of the things I think was really frustrating was that most of the subs made New York City worse. You know, bringing on guys like Medina and people who any New York City fan doesn't care for. But then it's it's kind of hard to be too judgmental of that because you know. 
you're trying to make sure people are rested, trying to make sure keep people healthy. We talked about players overexerting themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the calculus for New York City is that if there's more games after this, you want to make sure players are healthy for that. And if there are no more games after that, then well, who cares? Um, so it's really tough for to get a whole lot out of it other than what we came into it, which, you know, for, for New York City side, which is that they're really good. Hopefully they'll finish chances. And, I mean, I, I would expect that they would. Uh, Matriza did miss this game. Uh, he's questionable for the game against Orlando tomorrow, which may or may not have already happened, depending on when this podcast loads and when you're listening to this. <laughs> but that's kind of what we're looking at right now. Um, for Philly, I think it's kind of the same. They, they play the diamond formation. They really got burned up on the wings. It was kind of a miracle that New York City didn't get that goal. That's how they got so many uh, expected goals. But, I mean, they ended up pulling it out. Um, I think we kind of the same idea that we knew uh, ahead of time, which is Philly is a pretty strong team, but not necessarily um, a super threat, um, kind of good in good situations. Uh, we'll see what they can do uh, against Orlando. I don't remember if that's the night game or the morning game. Um, no, I, I, guess it, I guess it has to be the night game if Seattle is waking up at 10 o'clock. But then again, the schedule is, uh, as MLS is always known, you know, to be determined and subject to change. <laughs> Blaine, anything to add? Uh, Mike, I gotta ask because you, you talk about no goals yet this year for New York City. Um, Patty Castellanos got eight shots in that game. Hebert mm-hmm. um, got one. Like, what's what's up with that? Why isn't? I mean, Hebert was a guy we were all high on last year. For most of it, I know Tati came on strong and really started lighting it up. But why such a strong shot disparity there? Um, I think it's probably just how Philly was lined up. Um, you know, I think Aber. You know, we talked about the narrow diamond. So, so much of New York City's attacks were coming from the wing and going on that side. That's the kind of area that Tati tends to flourish better than Aber, whereas Aber tends to tend to stay a little bit more central. Um, and that was actually one of the complaints that New York City fans had in watching the game. It was like, okay, we're getting it to Tati, but we really want to get more opportunities for Hebert. Um, And that's probably something that really comes with Russ. You know, it's you, you take the easy things when you're not quite as sure, you're not quite as polished uh, as a machine. You know, I think if you played for a few more weeks and everyone got more on the same page, I think it would end up going to Hebert. But I think what happened is they took the simple thought, the simple opportunity, that was Tati with the way the game the formations played out. Yeah, and let's not forget, I'm going to jump ahead to some key players right now. Looking over at Philadelphia, I mean, you had Shabilko who did a little bit on the offensive side. You had Bedoya, who did a little bit on the offensive side. But really, the fantasy stands out standouts to me during this game were the defense, which has been uh, a trend for Philly the last last couple of years. I mean, you had Wagner and Elliott did, did awesome as far as defensive numbers, clearances interceptions blocks those sorts of things they they put up good numbers on that side and then blake was standing on his head with with oh. save so i mean the guy would have gotten uh since he didn't i mean if this was a regular fantasy season based on the saves that blake got i don't know what the recoveries were but we're looking at this with uh probably at least two points from saves maybe three points from saves i think i think he had seven so probably two points from saves he would have gotten the four points uh, so we're for, for the clean sheet. So we're looking like close to at least a nine or ten as far as a game would have been. So that's a fantastic score. So the defense on Philly side and even uh, Montiero did did well. He played a bit 
kind of both ways, but he did some well with some defensive numbers as well. So the defense side was fantastic. New York, it was it's nuts. Mike's XG right here is crazy. 17 to 8 shots, 28 to 9 crosses. I mean, New York is doing the things. They're getting the the stats that you want when you're trying to produce. From a fantasy manager, you're getting bonus points from these players, and, and that's helpful, though you want the goals and the assists. But the same players that we're talking about, uh, Castellanos, like you said, Blaine, shots galore. Cut several, at least two-point bonus points and shots there. Uh, Monterito was doing well. Morales, even though he won't, we won't see him, we know what his quality is, and that was still visible and we got some games with ccl with new york as well to see what's going on rain callens tenor home these are the names that we've been talking about for the past several years biggest downside is new york players tend to be a bit expensive so uh, but the same types of players right there but uh, uh, crazy crazy the numbers that you point out mike yeah and i got to watch part of this when i listened to a lot more of it because i was busy around the house um the other name i heard coming up for philly a lot was aaronson just seemed to be one of their they didn't have as much of the ball but seemed to be one of their more creative players for the day um just and i know he was a guy last year that i mean montiero was our big name but aronson was coming on strong as a cheaper option and i think when fantasy comes back if he's going to be really facilitating more of the offense like we think he can uh could be a really cheap option to keep an eye on and definitely somebody to watch throughout the rest of the tournament and kind of get a feel for how he plays in this team yeah, and it'd be great to see a game where there's a bit more possession for Philly. It was about 60-40 for New York versus Philly in this game, so not the best uh, numbers to really see what kind of possession base the number 10 or someone can, can put up. Okay, moving on to Group B. I think this is Group B. Uh, we have Montreal versus the New England Revolution and then Seattle versus San Jose. Uh, both interesting games, I think. Nope, did I get my groups wrong? So Seattle um, and San Jose is in Group B, That's B, but we still haven't had the second game of Group B, which That's is Chicago-Vancouver right. because of all the, the delays. Um, FC delays. Dallas and, and Nashville, yeah. Well, so we're going to change how I'm going to talk about these groups. I'm just <laughs> going to talk about them in the order they were played, yeah. and we'll forget about which groups they're in, or Mike, you can fill that in right there because i was just just going about my merry way and i was like oh i forgot about the groups and i was like they should be talked about in the group order that's right no no good point so first we're going to talk about montreal new england revolution because i thought that was a fun game um it was 1-0 which was a little surprising i think but uh we got to have some of those questions answered we, were, we talked about before that this could be a key game that we looked at because new england was a team that we all respected and i think the numbers show a little bit of that being true do you guys have any comments to say about that before i get to the stats i mean i, I think i know what stat you're going to talk about and because we talked about it in our fantasy um twitter dm which was carlos heel getting 12 key passes i mean that's absolutely insane i, I don't know how i really want to watch that game back to see how that didn't end up in more goals oh. <laughs> but i mean um I think clearly the fantasy takeaway is Carlos Heel is a top midfielder. Probably should have learned that lesson last year, but I mean, it's he—he's—he's he's definitely the real deal. Yeah, um, how that didn't end up in goals was Bo should have had a hat trick. He missed it <laughs> like three feet wide, open net, and just pushed it just a hair wide, trying to go up and over. Um, they couldn't finish. That uh, 
you look at the possession stats, and Montreal actually had more possession on the game. Okay. But that was New England, not really a bunker encounter, but they played good, solid defense. And every time they got the ball, they were just so clinical going forward and setting up their plays. Um, Montreal had more of the ball because they just had to work it back out of their half slower than New England did. I mean, it was pretty much total domination on this one. Um, and, yeah, Heal looked fantastic. If Bo was finishing, we're looking at a hat trick here. Um, the whole game. And then New England's defense still looks pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I know they've kind of flown under the radar. I know uh, Matt Turner's been a guy that for the last couple – or last year at least, we kind of had him on the radar as one of those if they had the right matchup. But that whole defense looks really, really good right now. Yeah, neither keeper was asked to do a lot more on on Montreal's side with Diop, but uh, you guys are right. the The question with New England is, can they convert? And that's going to be something we'll see over this tournament. But you you nailed it, Mike. Uh, Gustavo Bo with Carlos Heel were the players involved in the goal, the only goal of the game. Seven shots for Montreal, 19 shots for the New England Revolution, 15 crosses, 16 crosses respectively. So above average numbers with crossing, definitely very respectable. But you're right, the the key pass numbers from Carlos Heel were amazing, off the charts, fantastic. And fortunately for Bo, uh, big chances fluffed is not a stat in the 3.0 fantasy <laughs> generation. But the, the thing to take away about Bo is he had respectable numbers for shots and crosses. And a forward who has key passes and crosses is a, always an excellent option in fantasy because they have access to a bonus point generating stat that a lot of forwards don't care about and don't do. So... Uh, that was great to see from him. On the other side, uh, also going to mention Delamea on defense. He had some solid defensive numbers, so he's usually fairly expensive. For Montreal, um, Irudi is one guy I want to point out. Not always the most consistent or, or highest scoring fantasy player, but again, he's a forward who has shots and crosses, uh, so crossing and passing. So a guy to keep an eye on for fantasy, maybe in the right situation. Uh, he's He's got potential right there. Piet also had a lot of shots, um, comparatively. I mean, the, they had seven shots, so spread around. And, of course, Tidare, key passes and crosses. We all know about him. Uh, but I also want to mention Binks on defense. Had uh, they Montreal played five back, so it's don't know if that's what it's always going to look like or if this was just because maybe they respected Heel and Bo. But uh, Binks had some excellent numbers on defense, so depending on what prices look like i didn't look at prices before tonight uh, we'll get that done in a future episode that that could definitely be an excellent option for a cheap defender uh now we'll move on to seattle versus san jose and our, our hats off to all those seattle fans we have to get up at 6 a.m tomorrow to to watch their game um zero zero which shocked me because i was really worried about san jose coming into this tournament where they were the last team to start back with with practice arguably one of the most physically demanding teams with their style of play with the man marking and so i had a lot of questions about what was going to happen here and before i let before i get into more stats and you guys get a chance to comment i just want to say san jose had 62 percent of the possession in this game that blew my mind what did you guys think? The, 
this is another one I had on kind of in the background. My wife doesn't like me watching soccer all the time right now. You know, <laughs> so long. So, and I think I had, I think we actually had another couple over that night. So I didn't get to like fully dive into this game. But the bits and pieces I saw, it looked like San Jose was kind of running the show. And now that I look at all the stats, I mean, 16 shots to 12, 20 crosses to four, 62% possession, um, 570 passes to 350. And this is a Seattle team that with Ladero is usually pretty pass heavy anyway. I mean, they beat them by over 200 passes and a 90% passing accuracy. Um, how, how they didn't win this game is beyond me. Uh, just seeing the stats. Uh, I don't know if this is San Jose with a bunch of guys we kind of like at different times. I know Jackson Ewell's been pretty high on the list and as a U.S. national guy that we want to see coming up. Uh, Baco's usually in and around our, our list of players to go grab. Uh, Espinoza's another one we like to go grab at times if you want a third one. Erickson has been quality in the past, and you just, you've got shots floating around all over the place on this team. There's a ton of just talent here. Maybe they're putting it all together, or maybe Seattle's just not quite ready for this tournament. I don't know, because this, this looks pretty close to first-string lineups for both teams, and San Jose just dominated this game. Well, they've only played two games, so Seattle doesn't realize that it's late in the season yet. That's the problem. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the question whenever I saw the score um, come, coming out of this game, I was like, I wonder if Seattle's just kind of taking this slow. And, and seeing 62% possession for San Jose, I, I don't know that San Jose wants to have 62% of the possession. That doesn't seem like it really fits well. into their style. You know, I, I, I could kind of see uh, Seattle just kind of, we're you know, we're taking this, we're going to slowly move into this. Um, I, I mean, they've been gifted the easiest group in MLS, if they don't make it out, um, I mean, I, I would say someone should be fired if this was actually like a real serious, meaningful <laughs> tournament. But, um, I, I mean, I don't know how San, how Seattle doesn't make it out of this group. They should win their their next two games. But I mean, I, I do think there is something to say when, when you have such an easy group. Take it slow. Try to avoid injuries. And if you can make the other team play a game that they don't want to play and just grind out a draw, and so. You have everything to play for. It does kind of make sense. So I don't know that there's a whole lot to take of it. I mean, obviously, if we have another result like this, then maybe we start hitting a panic button. But So the the stats from this game are kind of interesting, I think. Uh, shots, 12 to 16, so a bit above average for both sides. Seattle definitely did not come out on top with shots. Even worse on crosses, though, which kind of surprises you with someone like like Nico Ladero there and, and some of the other players they have on their team. Four crosses for Seattle, 20 crosses for San Jose. So some massive differentials in numbers right there. Uh, but sticking with, with Seattle, key players, of course, Rui Diaz, Rodon, Ladero, all had some shot numbers. Uh, and Ladero, of course, was getting passing numbers. So the usual suspects right there. But also, uh, Ariega on defense put up some, some very nice numbers 
there to take so keep an eye on him one of the the center backs that they had playing for them on the san jose side uh, it was erickson who was getting shots and passing numbers so again he plays as like a number 10 so you'd expect that from that kind of player but erickson's done well the last couple of seasons uh, so definitely a guy to keep a look at vaco of course um was was getting shots and that's what we expect from Vaco. those are usually two of the names right on top of the list nick lima did very well in his defense and passing numbers uh, which wasn't quite what we wanted last year in fantasy but it's nice to see him getting back into the mix coming down the wing so that was a good to see and then espinoza had a lot of great passing numbers as well for uh for san jose so that that midfield line was doing very well. I also want to mention both goalkeepers. Of course, Stefan Fry is someone who we know is a top quality keeper. And Vega was the cheap keeper amazing the last last year with, with what he was called to do. And uh, he had six saves and a clean sheet in this game. So he would have been another 8 to 10 point keeper for, for if this was a fantasy week. So uh, great to see that coming from him and depending on his price could still be a great option in fantasy. Moving into my group, let's start out with talking about Atlanta versus New York Red Bulls. An interesting game for sure, guys. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, not, it's not often where you see Atlanta fans kind of panicking and not <laughs> super confident about their team. Um, but, I mean, I think I think New York's uh, Red Bulls, as much as I hate to say this, I think they impressed um, – I mean, you did see a few good chances. Um, this is probably a game that probably should have ended in a draw. Atlanta did generate some good chances, but just couldn't finish. Um, but uh, you know, New York, New York Red Bulls, I think, position themselves to win this group. Um, and, and Atlanta has some work to do, um, especially with the game that we're talking about next. But um, I mean, I, I, I pretty much just came away thinking, you know, this is a this is a good game. This is your two strong teams. Um, it wasn't quite everything that we had hoped for coming into it, but I mean, I think the main takeaway is we have questions, still have questions with Atlanta without Joseph Martinez. Yeah, huge questions. Blaine, would you agree? Yeah, um, and I found this game a lot harder to take a lot from. Hmm. Um, okay. Scoring a fourth-minute goal is interesting in a game like this, in a tournament like this. Uh, I said it in our lead-up, like, defense is going to carry teams in this tournament. Everybody's coming back a little rusty and everything. Um, you score a fourth-minute goal with this midfield that New York has, which is pretty solid and a pretty good defense. And then they put up 13 fouls for the rest of the game. Like, they just they went for that little bit more disruption tactic. Not, not sell out for it, but they... I mean, Atlanta had almost 70% possession. New York just sat back on that lead and rode it out and pretty much challenged Atlanta to go find somebody to beat them. And Atlanta's missing that goal score. So it, it, it's hard to read uh, a Red Bull team when they do that. Um, definitely have a question on who's going to score for Atlanta, but, I mean, I'm a sporting fan for a long time, and I remember the criticisms of sporting from really 2011 to about 2015 Burmese knew how to win with the lead knew how to disrupt the game and we played um, very disruptive very ugly soccer and that's what I saw from Red Bulls here very (laughs) disruptive and very ugly and that's it it gets results and in a tournament like this protecting your guys and getting results is a lot of what you want to do 
Um, but it really makes it hard to read going forward in fantasy because we didn't get to see anything else from them really after the goal. They just they absorbed the they absorbed the pressure and went for it. But the only thing we can really take away is that's a testament to just how strong New York's defense is. Well, I, one thing I will say, oh, you I was go, just going to say, um, Atlanta, but for Atlanta side, seeing teams that just want to sit back, absorb pressure, and disrupt them is something Atlanta is going to see very frequently. Exactly. So even if we don't read too much, like, okay, this doesn't mean New York Red Bulls are going to run away with the Eastern Conference. It does add more questions because that is what Atlanta is going to see in almost all of their games. And so if they can't really handle that, that, that that's that's a problem. Exactly. That was that was exactly what I was going to bring up. I for me that is the key fantasy takeaway from this game is we came into it saying, "Okay, Joseph's gone, who's going to step up?" And the Red Bulls essentially said the same thing as Joseph's gone, who's going to step up? And nobody did. That that's a a bit harsh. I mean, the shot uh, so Florian uh, Velo had the goal, Kaku had the assist. Uh, some some names you might might assume though Royer had some chances as well. I think he had a goal called back. So some of the names that you have seen in the past being involved for Red Bulls, no no real surprises there. But Atlanta had 14 shots to the Red Bulls six, which six is one of the lowest. I don't think it's the lowest, but one of the lowest that we saw for this week. 24 crosses for Atlanta, 17 crosses for the Red Bulls. So fantastic numbers for Atlanta, but no one was able to put it in. And that's exactly what Red Bull said is who can do it. And they didn't have an answer. And I think that's the theme that we've seen from Atlanta, at least the last year, even when Martinez was there, the times when he wasn't, when they were looking to pity and they were looking to Barco to step up, to put some of these goals in, they weren't, and they're still not. And I think that's the key takeaway for fantasy is you just can't immediately switch over that grabbing someone like pity or Barco isn't necessarily going to be, your best bet it may be somebody like bello who did fairly well had some some decent numbers or on my list right now to talk about for key players pity did have some decent numbers but meza back on defense also had some good numbers so uh guzan did did quite well he only had three saves so he would not have had a great fantasy score from this game but those saves were crucial so he is is still a standout right there uh and jensen as well he had uh, four saves, so uh, some crucial ones there as well. So, again, two goalkeepers who did pretty well. Otherwise, for Red Bulls, as far as key players, Sean Davis had some good passing numbers. Kyle Duncan had some great defensive and passing numbers. Duncan out there on the right wing. But otherwise, not super impressive numbers right now for breakaway players that might want to be your targets in fantasy. Yeah, and then... I want to say for my draft league, um, I did some research right before we opened up and started because we're playing in the draft league again. Um, I talked to a couple of guys because I was interested in Jurgen Dom, who's the new signing for Atlanta. Mm. Um, supposed to be more of your your hybrid winger type, um, but they said if he's given the green light, expect him to beat people off the dribble a lot, which could be very good for the way this team is built. Um, opening up some stuff coming off the wing instead of just always crossing the ball in. Mm-hmm. And just that he, if he's given the green light to shoot, he's going to light up the score sheet just shooting. So um, interesting additional player that I'd love to see work in. I didn't see him on the roster for this last for this game, and I don't know if he's available in Orlando, if he's coming in after. 
I know LGP was not cleared to play for uh, Miami in the tournament. I don't know what – I didn't hear the reasoning on that. But then you've got Andy Nahar, who was signed at about the same time as LGP, and he has been added to the LAFC roster. So I don't know if Jurgen Dom is somebody we're going to see in the next game, but he is definitely somebody I want to – I want on the radar – is on my radar, and I want to see how he plays because we're not seeing enough going forward, and I think adding that extra player may be enough to unlock this team. We shall see more games, more fantasy info. Moving on to uh, FC Cincinnati versus Columbus, the Hell is Real Derby, and boy, was hell real on that night. Uh, FC Cincinnati absolutely stomped 0-4. to four. To their credit, I will say that uh, FC Cincinnati looked pretty good the first 20 minutes of the game. Uh, they were they were doing pretty well on trying to control the ball better in midfield, which was a huge, huge problem. Well, there were a lot of huge, huge problems last year, but <laughs> but that was that was a particular key one is that they had all these defensive guys, and then you're like, we're gonna just kick it up to Adi, and then Adi broke. And then you just had all these defensive guys, and you had zero midfield guys, and so it was like there was there was no midfield, there was no midfield. Um, so a little bit better right there, missing some of what we would want to see. But um, after that first goal was scored by Zella Ryan, Columbus's record signing, uh, it got a little bit deflated, and then the second goal went in. Jossie Zardes's first goal. Um, it was, it was pretty much done. So four goals in this game. Uh, Lucas Zellerayan, a brace for Jossie Zardes, assisted by Mokhtar and, again, Zellerayan. And then the fourth and final goal came from Mokhtar, assisted by Jimenez and Zellerayan. I've said one name several times during this segment. You can probably guess who some of the key players are going to be. Um, but before I get on to the stats, Blaine, I'll give you an opportunity to talk about your boy, Jossie Zardes going to say, yeah, one of your biggest problems for Cincy was Giassi's artist. I mean, they, they I don't know, I was just happy. I've, I've been riding that bandwagon for a few years now, and he was an early pick to have a good tournament for me. Um, happy to see him get the brace, but Zeller Ion really did steal the show. Mm. That free kick was a yes, it should. beauty. And then two assists, I think in the grand scheme of things, I think Zeller Ion's going to have the better fantasy score on this one. Just yeah, that, for sure. Yeah, uh, the passing and everything. But Zardes looked good, and I think the biggest thing on that first Zardes goal, that first touch was a thing of beauty, and that's something he's been criticized on for years, is just not having a first touch. And I know he flubbed a couple later, but if he can get that first touch figured out, he's going to be a fantasy monster because of all the service he is getting. And this team was giving a lot of service all game long. Um, Mokhtar getting a, a goal and an assist in this game is nothing to sneeze at either. Um, we're always looking for a little bit of depth and a little bit of other or another player here. If you're going to go three deep in this one and you don't want to blow all of your budget here, Mokhtar is going to be a good option to go three deep on this team. I mean, Zardes and Zellerion are always going to be pretty good, but they can get a little pricey after a while. Um, if you don't go defense, or if you do want to do defense and Zellerion and skip Zardes, uh, Mokhtar could be one of those um, moderately priced options to get in there because he seemed to be doing a lot of work all night long. Yeah, and I mean, their their entire 
midfield line was was really impressive. I mean, th- the entire front four. I mean, Zardes did well, Mokhtar did well, Zellerain did well, Diaz did well also going down there. I think he had four shots himself. He was constantly sending balls in. I mean, you had Nagby who did well on the defensive side, just bossing the midfield. Uh, Artur did fine, and you know in future games we're going to see see Pedro Santos there, so that's going to be more... Um, more depth and more skill to add there. So Columbus is going to be a scary team. And it's, uh, I, I got a message sent to me before this game started and said, Hey boss, what do you think this game's going to be like? And I was responding and I said, listen, I, I do not. I said, you, <laughs> it's just funny. I'm, I'm stepping all over this because it's a new coach. And so I, I just honestly said, you never know what's going to happen with a new coach, but I do not expect him to get out of the group stage. And, and so I wasn't surprised by this. So it was not, <laughs> a game that I got crazy upset about because this was how I thought saw it playing and I think Columbus is an amazing team and I expect them to go far in this tournament. Um, the most exciting thing for me was seeing me on the virtual big screen, so that was fun. <laughs> that was the fun thing for me right there. Mike, anything to add before I wrap up the stats? Just that um, I double-checked. Zillerin is uh, 9.8 as a midfielder. Oh, uh, not bad. That's not bad for, with the potential he's shown. Nope. Um, probably going to be a top pick when we come back. Yep, easily, easily a guy who would be worth like an eleven, easily. This guy, he looks, he looks really promising. And I mean, he and his his back, you know, in you know, long, long ago history when the first game of the season was, he got ten points against New York City FC. Mm-hmm. So he's not just um, drubbing bad teams. You yeah, know. Uh, he did against New York City. Granted, it was a CCL New York City, but I mean, it's still New York City, so. And that is the most important fancy takeaway here. The comment constantly throughout the Fox Sports 1 commentary was, is Columbus this good or is Cincinnati just this bad? And the answer was always Cincinnati is just as bad. And, and that is true. Cincinnati is not great. They're learning a new system. They have new coach. They have new players. And the fancy takeaway is you can still bet against them. So was this the best test? New York will probably be the best test for Columbus. Atlanta will be a good test for Columbus to really see what they can do. Uh, shots, Cincinnati had six. Columbus more than doubled that with 13. Crosses, Cincinnati had three. Again, <clears throat> Columbus more than doubled that with seven. Key players for FC Cincinnati, none. There's There are players on Cincinnati's roster who you could look to maybe in the future as cheap players if you needed somebody. Yeah. There are players that Cincinnati is going to look to to be key players. But in this game, no one stood out on the fantasy side of players from Cincinnati who you're going to want to go to. Uh, on the Columbus side, Diaz had great shot numbers, even though he didn't get any any assists or goals. Then, of course, Zardes, Mokhtar, Zillarayan. A lot of their defenders did very well. Uh, it was great to see um, a lot of those players back. Unfortunate to see that little injury early on, but uh, a very solid Columbus team. Next, Sporting Kansas City versus Minnesota. Blaine, uh, it's nice to see that some things just remain the same with Sporting Kansas City just choking in the final minutes of stopping time, as they tend to do. Yeah, that's an alarming trend. Yes. Um, I'm not being mean. This is is truth. This is truth. I mean, third game of the season and we've already got one uh first game back like uh that's a little nerve-wracking um because i thought that it was going to be over this year um no that red card really did him in uh, burmese in the burmese in the post game uh came out and said you know the red card really did turn the match it did. um he 
he said the guys were gassed. They they ran out of steam. Um, I blame him a little bit because he didn't use the subs, but he said we were he said they were okay. They were under pressure. It wasn't, didn't look good. I think without the red card, it still probably would have ended up one, one. Yeah. I but think he so. said when the red card came in, the wheels fell off and, and, and it is what it is. Um, uh, the bigger frustration for me, and I know Mike tweeted back at me, uh, sporting should have been up three Oh four Oh in the first half. They, they put a few ju- over just wide. I mean, easily in on goal, beat the defender, and just they weren't finishing their chances, and that's not the way they started the season. Um, those first two games, they were just on point. They were they were putting everything in. Um, Kinda could have had two on his own, um, just a couple other ones. Just so many missed chances, and when you miss them early and then go down a man, you're asking to lose the game late like they did, and that's exactly what happened. Um, Sporting really did dominate the first half. Uh, injury to uh, who came off? Let me see that. Injury to Mason Toy at about 60 minutes, and Aaron Schoenfeld came in. Um, guy that I think we've all kind of toyed with in fantasy because he's been one of those cheap 4.0 options for several years. Yeah. And he was just he was just running at at Sporting's defense, opening it up. And basically, when when that change happened, the game opened wide or opened up and. He was given the defense fits, as I said last year, speed over the top killed Kansas City. And he was just – he was everywhere and doing everything for them up front and really opening up opening up lanes, and they capitalized on it. Mike? Yeah, I mean, this was probably one of the more um, interesting games. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, Sporting Kansas City going forward, it really hurts to lose Amelia um, – Blaine mentioned what I tweeted and what I tweeted was, you know, Blaine and I both got to see our teams lose games that they should have won and then not have their best player for the second game. Um, it's, it, it's real rough, but um, I, I mean, I think I was interested in Blaine had been talking uh, about Polito uh, in the run up. Um, he did have a really nice turn to the assist on Kyrie Shelton uh, to set up the only goal that sporting Kansas city did score um, so I'm going to c- try to keep more tabs on him uh, going forward fantasy-wise. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how, how losing Melia affects uh, Sporting Kansas City. Because, I mean, th- this is still one of the more interesting groups. Um, I-, I think Sporting Kansas City, uh, as rough as this loss was, is still in a decent position to get one of those third spots, if nothing else. Sure. Uh Stats for the rest of this game: shots thirteen to nine in favor of Sporting Kansas City. Uh, I guess I should mention the final score one to two. Goal by Kyrie Shelton, assist by Polito. Own goal by Kyrie Shelton in the final minutes of stoppage time, and then in the final final minutes of stoppage time, Kevin Molino comes through uh, with a goal assisted by Edwards and Metanier. Uh, so as I said, uh, shots thirteen to nine in favor of Sporting Kansas City. Yeah. Crosses, did you have something to add? Oh, go ahead. Crosses twenty-one to twenty. Uh, good, good numbers from both teams, right there. Key players. Uh, add any that you wish, Blaine. But for me, that stood out based on the numbers. Uh, Kinda Polito Beasel had some fantastic defensive numbers. Martins had some great crossing and defensive numbers, and Zusi had some fantastic crossing numbers as well. So lots of the sporting defensive guys, uh, great options, but expensive. Yeah, um, I had some key guys from this one. Um, 
commentators are getting to watch multiple games back to back, or they're doing a couple a day. Um, and the the one highlight that I had was they said about Polito. Um, he's doing everything right on the night that Rui Diaz was doing wrong or missing on for Seattle. <laughs> and, and so it just uh, high praise when it comes from your commentators like that because um, we know how good Rui Diaz can be. And he came in a little rusty, and I know it's coming back. But um, when you're getting comparisons like that and told you're better than one of the our kind of leading forward options in the game, um, gives you a reference point on how good he can be and should be. Um, Kinda is fantastic. Uh, one of my highlights. Uh, Kyrie Shelton has been putting up solid numbers for them and really opening up the game. Um, and I expect a few defensive bonus points from him throughout the year. Um, that's been the big thing that the, the talking point is he's taken Russell's spot on the wing, which is the other fantasy takeaway we need to watch. Uh, Johnny Russell has been relegated to a bench role because of Shelton, and Shelton is covering for Zussi's weaknesses at right back a little bit and kind of helping overlap and playing a little more defense. Still getting some really good offensive numbers, but he's getting those defensive points, and I think he could fly under the radar as one of those um, really sneaky bonus point producers from the forward position because of that and then uh, two names on the uh, on the Minnesota side that really stood out uh, Kevin Molino was busy all night um, he was a sort of record setting transfer fee when he left Miami or left Orlando to go up there and then Ethan Finley looked pretty solid the entire game and I know it's been a few years since he's been a real big fantasy standout but he seems to be getting a lot more work now that um, Darwin Quintero is gone, and I expect him to continue to rise in fantasy value throughout the season, just given the way he played this game. He got some average numbers. Uh, Molino definitely had some decent shots and crosses. Metanair had some great defensive numbers and crosses. Uh, he was part of the, the assist. Boxel had some great defensive numbers. Uh, and then Gregus had some great defensive numbers great shot numbers great crossing numbers he's in that more defensive midfielder spot though so be careful with him going forward i will also mention that uh, jose aha had some some excellent defensive numbers from minnesota but he was playing at at center back and you know that when opara is healthy that is going to be his spot again so the fans takeaway is they've got probably a decent backup right there to keep an eye on he should be cheap uh, the competition in this in this group, uh, Real Salt Lake versus Colorado, did not go how I expected. So this game was very interesting to me. Uh, 2-0 in favor of Real Salt Lake. Goals go to Albert Rusnak and then Demir Krylach with uh, Goy Baird having the assist with that one. Do you guys share my surprise with this result? I'm not shocked. I mean, this was probably like one of the the closest games you know going into it i'm like i i, I kind of pegged this as a draw um i think there's and it, it may very well could have been if erwin didn't have a penalty save uh but erwin managed to get the penalty save and then saves the follow-up mm -hmm. um i think rsl went down a minute or two later uh and got the goal and pretty much put the goal put the game away um, i was expecting more from colorado out of this match i, I thought for certain they could get a goal out of it um, but, you know, our RSL seems to, to still be hanging around. You know, they're one of those teams where I think we always kind of write them off, and then they're like, they still manage to pull out these results. 
Um, and I'm sure our friend Jason Wiskovich would be yelling at us for <laughs> writing them off. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think his biggest disappointment is from Colorado. I, I was expecting him to make more yeah. noise, uh, and they certainly they still could. But um, tournament's not over. But it, it, it's it's rough to lose two nothing in that first game. Blaine, do you share in the the disappointment? Yeah, I was hoping after the way the first game went, I was hoping for a draw here because that really helps sporting standing. I, I expected a draw going into this one, but I think we all undervalue RSL a little bit. Rusnak and Krylock are solid players and two other better goal-scoring threats with Corey Baird, who had the assist. I mean, the names that you would expect got on the score sheet there. Um, I expected a little more from Colorado, to be honest. I I was a little higher on their defense. They added Abubakar. Uh, Drew Moore is still there. Irwin's not a bad goalkeeper at all. I just and Rosenberry's back there now too. Like he didn't play. That's that may be part of it too. But I just I expected a little more from Colorado and I didn't see it. And RSL finished their chances and Colorado didn't. And that's the big thing. Um, I didn't get to watch as much of this one. I was disgusted after the way the first game ended on the night. So. I really was kind of done with soccer for the night. Um, not, not sure why Diego Rubio didn't Out. start this one. Um, Shin Yashiki got it. Uh, just, I could see some changes in here to bring a little more offensive power for Colorado. But, yeah, just a pretty even match. It's just one team finished their chances and the other one didn't. Um, but RSL's got those couple of finishers on this squad that – if they if they start heating up, um, look out because this team really is still built to beat anybody. Um, I think their defense is a little more suspect without um, Ramondo back there, kind of directing traffic. But we all loved McMath when he was in Colorado, and we no, I don't think any of us thought he should have gotten displaced by Howard. So he's got <laughs> another starting gig, and yep, he did well. I, I mean, I, I mean, it's his to lose, and I think he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder and something to prove. So. Maybe we're all sleeping on RSL a little too much, and maybe they are a top three team in the West, and we just don't want to see it. Yeah, no, McMath, uh, definitely a, a good goalkeeper option to look at going forward. Uh, four saves, a clean sheet, so he probably would have had like seven or eight with this game. Uh, the numbers, shots, average for both teams, 10 to 11 in favor of Colorado. Crosses, though, 20 to 15 in favor of Real Salt Lake, so both teams are generating some fantasy numbers, which are important to see. On the key player side, though, I'm sitting here looking through some numbers. I, I was looking at who scored mostly to kind of find out who was getting some of these key stats. And, I mean, of course, Rusnak was doing well with his shots. The defense of RSL came to play. Toya got great numbers. Silva got great numbers. Glad got great numbers. That was all fantastic to see. The, some, some good options there if you're looking for defense potentially in RSL, especially with McMath doing well. Uh, Martinez was getting crossing numbers. You had Herrera, again, who's a defender, who's getting some great crossing numbers. And Corey Baird was getting some crossing numbers, and he got that assist right there. Uh, and it was it was just good to see some options there when we had been really down on RSL, um, just because of what we had seen and some of the turnover that they had. On the Colorado side, you had Kellen Acosta and Kai Kamara both having some shots during this game, so that was, that was good to see. Um... You had Drew Moore, who was doing 
the decent job at defense, which is what we would assume. And then also uh, Abubakar was getting the same kind of defensive performance that we'd expect from him. So some solid options there still, but they're going to be giving up two goals. That's not going to help you in fantasy. Uh, and then as far as crosses and passing go, Jack Price was doing well. Jack Price was doing well at the beginning of this season as well. So Jack Price could be another uh, low-cost midfielder that people may want to keep an eye on. He had six crosses in this game, which would have been enough for a couple of uh, bonus points right there alone. Um, assuming that these crosses are calculated the same way Opta does. I don't have the Opta stats, so to find out. Uh, two more left since we just finished LAFC in Houston, but we'll talk about Toronto versus DC, the delayed game, which did end up coming out, and a little bit surprising result in this one. I think we can all agree. Um, I did not get to watch it, but it ended 2-2 as the final, um, and uh, a good a good showing from DC. What do you guys think? My first takeaway was, oh, wait a minute. Frederico Higuain is on DC United. These are the <laughs> things that I forgot about in the last three months. <laughs> and a sub. And a sub. And he comes in and just smokes him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that was a beautiful goal. Um, I mean. Chip. Yeah, it's a chip. So, I mean, this, this was one of those games where I was like, okay, I have to read the recap. What happened here? Um. Toronto goes up to nothing. Uh, I think it's Moreno for DC United gets a red card. So DC is down to 10 men and somehow they managed to come back two goals in stoppage time. I think both of them were stoppage time or maybe it was super late. I don't remember. Um, I mean, what, what, apparently what happened was Toronto subbed off their center backs, Omar Gonzalez. And I don't remember who the other starter was. And then they put on Lauren Simon. Yeah. Mavinga. Uh, and then they subbed on um, Lawrence Simon. And as we know, the past few years, when you sub on Lawrence Simon, bad things happen to your defense. <laughs> um, and when Frederick Brilliant is scoring against you, really bad things are happening to your defense. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I th- the other takeaway um, you know, is Pozuelo was, I-, I think, doing pretty well. Akinola uh, got both of the Toronto's early goals, and then it seems pretty clear Toronto took their foot off the pedal. Yeah. Maybe that has something to do with the Orlando Heat. Um, Toronto has also been one of the teams that's been really um, kind of on the fence about whether this tournament is a good idea or not, and I think I kind of played into it. Uh, DC made him pay for it. Uh, but I think I, it's really not clear whether why Josie didn't play. I think it was like coach's decision. For, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was, there was some sort of weird reason given. Uh, but if there is some issues with Josie going forward, Akinola is a great uh, backup. It, it'll be interesting to see whether TFC tries to get them on the field at the same time and make Akinola a really viable fantasy option or whether he's just a decent, reliable option if Josie's not playing. Yep. Blaine, were you impressed with what uh, you saw from DC? Yeah, this is a game I didn't get to watch. Um, seen a few highlights. Um, last year, Akinola was one of those bright young stars that everybody was hoping would get more minutes. I think he's shown what he can do a little bit, but I think just seeing the scoreline and everything and it's Pozuelo, I think this is a testament to how they, the team plays as well. Um, Josie has lights up the score sheet when he starts to. Um, we're up and down on Josie a lot, but I think this team is going to create chances for whoever the forward is. 
And so it's one of those that I look at this and go, okay, if Josie's starting, I'll start Josie in fantasy. If Akinola's starting, I'll, I'll risk it and start Akinola. Um, and I don't, I don't really care. And just to make uh, Mike happy, if Patrick Mullins is starting, I think I would start Patrick <laughs> Mullins. I just, I think this is a, this is a team that can, that is going to create chances for their forwards, and it's worth. They would have won if they played Patrick Mullins. <laughs> <laughs> and not Lawrence Mon. Put Patrick yeah, Mullins yeah. back for Lawrence Mon. Yeah, and you're exactly right, Blaine. A team that creates chances. 17 shots for Toronto, eight for DC. 12 crosses for Toronto and 19 for DC. So DC was getting some some more crossing opportunities, uh, but Toronto was going for some of those key passes, which uh, paid off, especially for Pozuelo. Um, Akinola and Pozuelo both got the goal and assist for each of those those two goals. And then, as we already mentioned, Federico Higuain came in as a sub and got a goal for DC, assisted by Felipe. And then uh, Briant got the goal at the other end, uh, assisted by Birnbaum and, again, Felipe. So uh, Felipe, a name that we're used to hearing, one to keep an eye on. As far as key players go, of course, uh, you guys already touched on Akinola and Altidore. That's, that's one to keep an eye on. Toronto is keeping things confusing by having their own Piotti this year. Uh, as we lost yeah, a Piotti, right. we gained a Piotti, exactly. So Pablo Piotti. Uh, but he had a lot of good shot numbers, so another one to, to keep an eye on. It's nice to see that, that that surname is being well represented still. And then, of course, Pozuelo had some great key pass numbers, as we would have expected. Everybody else kind of had some average stuff. Like you guys said, there was some rotation. Moro had some decent some numbers and that kind of thing, but... Uh, those are some of the, the standout players for me on DC's side. Kamara had his chances with shots. Felipe, of course, had to keep passes. Uh, Canus, Burnbaum did well on defensive numbers. Uh, we're not going to count that goal for Briant, but uh, just the defensive numbers. Canus and Burnbaum did well. Uh, Higuain was great off the bench. And then, of course, the name that we were all talking about at the beginning of the season, uh, Julian Gressel was there, and he did excellent with the crossing numbers, which is why he was brought into this team. That That's one of the skills. Uh, I think he had been switching some to midfield or some to like a number 10 at times, but uh, he has an excellent pedigree with the crosses, and he was doing that again for DC right here. Final game of the night uh, that we saw, uh, the the LA Galaxy and Portland Timbers are playing right now, but we'll cover that next week. Uh, so the last game that we saw was LAFC versus Houston. A bananas game. I forgot until 40, uh, almost the end of the first half that this game was on FS1, and I was like, oh crap, I can watch this game. Uh, at that point, it was 1-2, to two, then it became 1-3, to three, and this game ended in a 3-3 three, three draw. So it was absolutely bananas from the beginning to end you guys were watching this game longer than i was blaine what did you think um well for anybody who hasn't kept up with houston which i know is a lot of people um hopefully you watched the first half and saw what memo rodriguez can do because he's going to be a star in this league and he is going to be a stud for fantasy if he keeps playing the way he has um, he has been a longtime uh, fantasy favorite Yep. because he's usually been a cheap price. He doesn't start all of his games, but when you see him in the starting lineup, it's time to put him in your squad because he has been doing this, and this was a brace tonight. Um, what? I think only two players in the tournament have scored multiple goals in this first round, and that's Memo Rodriguez and Giassi Zardes. 
and uh, Akinola. Akinola. Okay, there we go. I forgot that one this morning. So, three players, and well, two of them now, Akinola and then Rodriguez, are your younger players, up and coming stars. Do you count Kyrie Shelton? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, that one hurts his fantasy. Too, so. <laughs> Sorry, I had to mention it. But no, I mean that's just that's just one of those. And I think as fantasy players, I wanted to talk about this just briefly. Like we're privileged that we see all these scores and we dissect everything because we've been kind of on the memo bandwagon for a couple of years now. Yeah. And I love the way this tournament's formatted. That way, everybody can watch every game if they want to. You never have to pick and choose. And Houston's usually not a team that's on everybody's radar to go watch. So to get to see Memo do this tonight was huge and just. I think he's going to be a staple on this team going forward and a huge fantasy standout for us for hopefully for the next few years. Mike, anything to add? Um, I, I think the takeaway that I came, uh, came away from is BWP's viability. If Vela isn't BWP sure. to get the first goal, uh, he moved up higher in the rank of all-time MLS goal scorers. We talked about him in, in our Mount Rushmore's uh, over the over the break. Um, you know, obviously Bell is not going to be here for this tournament, uh, I, but it's not un, unforeseen that he's going to have to take breaks at some point. That's why LAFC brought him in. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of surprising that LAFC let in three goals, but maybe not based on you know kind of issues that they've had. Um, I think the real question going forward is whether Houston can do this consistently. We kind of see flashes of this, especially in early season, like, oh, Houston's got, you know, a bunch of goals. We want to jump on the Memo bandwagon. And then for some reason that we as fantasy players don't understand, Memo gets benched. Houston stops. It dries up for Houston. And so that'll be the big question. Obviously, what has to say the same that Houston's defense is terrible. And Houston defense is going to let in goals, and you're going to want to target them when they have good offensive players that are playing against them. Uh, but, I mean, Houston really accomplished what they needed to do tonight, which is they got a result, got a point, and got a bunch of goals in. Uh, and that really is going to put them in a good position going forward to maybe maybe get into second place in this group mm -hmm. um, if they can get a result against Portland and yep. LAG. Uh, and maybe, um, it, you know, if, if they can't do that, be a really strong contender for the third place spot yeah no that's a, that's a great takeaway as uh as far as the numbers go with this it was absolutely bananas and let me add that this this lineup from lafc was not a, a b or c lineup a lot of the big names here especially in the midfielder blessing at west k you had segura in the back i mean this jacobic this was a, a, a great test for what was coming out to see the actual quality of Mimo rodriguez um 3-3, like I said, goals from Mimo Rodriguez, assisted by Darren Quintero, an unassisted goal by, by Mimo, and then a goal by Albert Elise, assisted by Darren Quintero again on the uh, LAFC side. Two of them came in the second half, so it was definitely equalizer goals. First one, Bradley Wright Phillips, assisted by Rossi and Blessing. And Bradley Wright Phillips was inches away from a brace in this game as well. It was a fantastic opportunity. Uh, but then the second goal came from Rossi, assisted by Atuesta and uh, Inella. And then final one came from Brian Rodriguez, assisted by Blessing. So a lot of options across the front line for LAFC without Carlos Vela, who will be 
your primary option, of course, when they're back. Uh, but without Vela, we saw five shots from Rodriguez, four shots from Rossi, three shots from Kay, three shots from Bradley Wright Phillips. So they were spreading out everywhere, which can be, be careful, which can be a problem, which is what we've seen at Houston in the past, fantasy-wise, from sharing those points. But know that a lot of this will combine, of course, with Vela when he comes back. But Rodriguez was still great with his key passes, as was Diego Rossi, which is what we expect from there. Um, uh, Jakovic was... Uh, a good standout with defense, a lot of solid numbers right there. Segura, of course, had had a decent night. I think uh, he would have not been as high as the others with, well, let's just face it, none of these defenders would have been well tonight if this was an actual <laughs> fantasy game, so we'll just we'll just skip over that. Uh, then as far as key passes go, I already mentioned Rodriguez did well, Mark Anthony K did well with the passes, and Rodriguez destroyed everything with, with the crosses. I think I forgot to mention those numbers. Um... LA Galaxy, sorry, I'm so sorry. That game is on right now, and I'm bouncing back and forth. LAFC had 23 shots to Houston's nine and 29, 28 crosses to Houston's seven. So they were dominant with a lot of this. They had 71% possession in this game to Houston's 28. It, it's, it was ridiculous. So um, it, was, it was a wild game, to be sure. On Houston's side... Uh, standout players of course we have Memo who is the one to take away everybody else did okay Elise was was fine but Memo was the the key player to come away with and then Darren Quintero was fantastic at providing assistance so definitely one to look at going forward uh on on din defense uh Lundqvist had good numbers um as did Figueroa but giving up goals is it's just such a a hurt to defenders that even with these good bonus point counters it's it's just not worth looking at these guys in fantasy at this time uh key passes again quintero was was a standout um from there so a lot of good options a lot of great soccer a lot of great fantasy insights i think for tonight keep an eye on these as we're going forward we're going to come back each week and do this again to try to keep everybody just in the flow of what's going on in the know i guess we've been a better way just in in the flow and in the know of what's going on final topic to discuss before we wrap things up tonight we mentioned the five subs what did you guys think about the impact of five subs on fantasy myself we could tell there were players who were getting subbed out before 60 minutes it definitely gave some more ro- options rotation options for coaches and we saw some take advantage but i still think we saw a lot of players going into the 70s 80s or 90 it, or 90 pluses before 70s or 80s before they were getting subbed out but do you all think this is going to be a huge impact for fantasy still yeah i mean it, it seems like they're going to need it uh, i mean i was just re- reading over the lafc game it seems that diamande got injured came off was was subbed in and then had to be subbed out 17 minutes later um it, it's just really tough um i mean this tournament is in very hot conditions in orlando mm-hmm. Um, the, the run-up, how much teams are going to be able to do with you know periodic shutdowns for testing and all that. It, it, you're not going to be able to get into the same rhythm that you normally are or would expect with just everything going down. So I think it's something the teams are going to rely on. And we're going to see more teams try to play younger players. Um, I, I know a bunch of kids got their debut for Columbus, uh, including Burhalter's son. I think we're going to see that across the board. A lot of our 4.0 scrub options are not going to be as safe. Um, So 
I, we're especially because I, I think when, whenever we come back, we're going to see a, a schedule cram. Um, especially since we've had two teams who are not going to get three games in this tournament. Who, you know, if we go back to a regular season, they're going to have to make up those games somewhere. I guess I hope so. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what MLS is going to do. No one knows <laughs> what's going to do anymore. But um, yeah, I, we're, we're going to see it to stay. It's it's going to be an impact, and teams are just going to have to rotation just to kind of keep bodies on the field and keep players as fresh as they can. Blaine. Yeah, I agree. I it, it's here for the rest of the season. We're going to have to contend with it when fantasy picks back up. Um, I personally think this five subs rule, because it's only three opportunities to sub or to stop the game for subs, I think it's going to be permanent worldwide at the end of this year. I I think some other leagues used it a little bit because of just injury concerns and everything. And with the growing emphasis on player safety and head injuries, I think the, the five subs option is going to just be a permanent change after this. So we might as well get used to it, and we're going to see a lot more rotation, and that's okay with me. I'm fine with a few more differentials. I know it adds a little bit of a luck element to the game, but I I don't mind that so much. Looking at it, um, I just I think it's going to differentiate the teams and give us another love, skill level to look at because I I don't see a ton of like Iron Man style players that can survive this this season. I think everybody's going to see some rotation, and even your your defensive midfielders who go 90 every game, they're not going to be able to keep up with this pace. So I think it's just going to diversify the players, and, you know, I've, I've never been a huge fan of the 4.0 scrubs, so making us actually worry about our 4.0 scrubs is a good thing for me. I, I, I'll, I don't mind it. Um, for the record, I think shrinking the roster size so we don't have 4.0 scrubs is probably the best bet. But um, that's what I—that's my solution to 4.0s. But because I just don't like them as much, I hate the idea of oh, I'm picking a guy because he's not going to play. But now you got to worry about him playing, and I think that's fun. Plus, I love seeing who the next generation is going to be. So I want to see some of these 4 and 5.0 guys get on the field and play. I want to see what some of these young guys can do because. I like coming into it with a little more knowledge next season of who's going to be on the field. And if a few guys retire, if you guys get transferred and a few kids step up, I want to know kind of what those kids are capable of before I have to start the season and see what they can do. All right. Well, that's all that we have for the show tonight. I know we ran a little long, but we've got soccer to talk about again, and we were excited to to get back into it. Uh, let us know what you think about this format, if you find it helpful. I've gotten a couple of requests on Twitter, and that was the big driving force for doing this format. People asking for fantasy content or stats, and, and frankly, I just don't have the stats. I don't have the Opta, access to the Opta numbers to, to figure out what fantasy scores would have been for these games and that would take a while anyway if that was to happen uh so this is my best solution for how we can try to give some of that fantasy input for what we're seeing in this game especially for some of you people who have a uh, homebrew leagues i got reached out uh by someone who wanted some fantasy info for a homebrew league and i was like i'm sorry man i just i just i just don't have it <laughs> we, we haven't been working that up i don't know i haven't seen anything so this is that so um final closing comments guys anything you want to mention or plug blaine mike 
Nope. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much, everyone, for, for listening. The the Patreons, thank you for updating your information. It's going to help me get the correct addresses out once I get all the final swag orders in. I got the stickers on order, so when those come in, we'll be able to start sending those out. Uh, so that's all I have. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening tonight. We've got soccer back, so good luck. <laughs>